Welcome to In the Gutter, a podcast that is all comics, all bangers, all the time, with story expert Lonnie Diane Rich and superhero scholar Joshua Unruh. One of the hosts has read almost no superhero comics, and the other has read almost all of them. We'll let you sort out which is which. And now, In the Gutter. t-shirt and i'm very excited about that you are getting a t-shirt with my face on it which i know i'm so jazzed the the wildest part of that is <laughs> that is not the zenith of craziness that happened like all i saw was a picture of you and a bunch of your friends and your girlfriend outside a limo yes all wearing shirts with your face on it with my face i gotta say i i dug it i thought it was awesome no it's no it's spectacular okay so to set the (laughs) stage i will not go into detail but last year was like low-key the worst birthday of my life like it was really terrible Mm -hmm. i was sick and thought it might be covid and so i was sequestered Mm -hmm. on my actual birthday and then when i could Mm -hmm. finally realize like oh these aren't really covid symptoms most likely it's not that i had vertigo so i couldn't even read or whatever it was awful and i just swore Mm -hmm. never again and i think that this imprinted on Lacey a little hard (laughs) uh because she was like and then i did the picnic for her which was very like Mm -hmm. like you know um yeah so she connects with a friend of mine uh hi jonathan and they <laughs> take me out for sushi where I ate. Oh, wait, ate. is that Chef Jonathan? Yes, it is Chef Jonathan. Hey, Jonathan. I haven't talked to him in a long time. So anyway, yes, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they take me out for a ridiculous amount of sushi. They pass out shirts with my face on them that say, <laughs> uh, I went to Josh's 45th birthday uh, scavenger hunt and all I got was this lousy mm-hmm. t-shirt or something like that. Now, to be honest, the scavenger hunt was more theoretical than actual, but that's life. <laughs> It was just an excuse to drink anyway. But then, awesome. then we come out, um, and there's a limo, and we do a little pub crawl, and then there was more. St- it, it was it was tremendous. It was wonderful, and I just felt very loved and very celebrated, which was a huge deal. It was very exciting. Yay. Everybody had to drink the 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 case of cheap beer that I prefer. Mm-hmm. I have a cheap beer of choice. It's Miller High Life yes. because it's the champagne mm-hmm. of beers. It says it right on the bottle. I'm taking no questions. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, but on it was just so ridiculous that we just rolled around, you know, in this limo with my face huge. It's huge. It's like a foot tall. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, it's very. We're gonna exciting. have to put a picture in the show notes of the shirt. I will attempt to either get um, mm-hmm. permission. Or just ignore yes. their agency and give you a picture of everybody. We just do a picture with everybody's faces cut off, so you can just see that, I'll like, cut off the faces. sixteen yes. people so in front of a limo wearing my face, wearing wearing your face. Yes, it was wonderful. I was so glad, and you know, it's. I'm really excited that that Lacey went all out for you. It's oh, nice she, to know yeah. that my little brother is being taken care of in the manner that he deserves. It's now nice. you're going to especially appreciate. This is the bow on the thing. So we're in the limo and we're starting the pub crawl part and she leans yes. over to me and she says so i think that birthdays are going to become a competitive sport for us and i was like <laughs> looks like it and then she says i can't remember exactly how she said it but basically she was like it's really important that you remember that escalating with me should still be just you and i <laughs> like <laughs> i am an extrovert and i need a hundred people in order to feel loved she's like for god's mm-hmm. sakes the last thing i want is a giant party you know exactly so now i have yeah, to figure out of, how to escalate small scale like right well y'all make me think of um of leslie nope on parks and rec when she was doing like the perfect birthday for ron and he was so paranoid the whole time about what she was gonna do she's gonna make a big thing and it was like you know him alone in a room in a steak with a western and a you know and a right. bottle of scotch or something like it was like perfect for that person so yes absolutely you've got to know what's perfect for that person when you're when you're planning stuff like that to make sure that it's uh and clearly Lacey knows you yeah oh no yeah <laughs> like the phrase holding court was used a little too often for my comfort but at the same time how can I argue <laughs> Well, that's awesome. And happy birthday, everybody out there. If you want to wish Joshua a happy birthday, you can find him on Twitter at Joshua Unruh. And um, so now I think it's time for us to start talking about JLA number three, War of the Worlds, because, oh, my God. Like, yeah. 
Uh, you know, and the thing is, is you told me this. You told me this when we were doing Listen Up A-Holes. You told me this when we were talking about Marvel. You told me about the ways in which DC escalates and escalates and escalates. And I believed you, but still, <laughs> when you go in, it's just like... <laughs> it's different. The experiencing... The experience of this, the the scaling that they do in these conflicts, you know, which is kind of fun. And I, you know, I say that they do, like, I presume that because of what you've told me, this is the only DC comic I've read, with the exception of like the 1990s, some Arkham Asylum Batman stuff. But um, also but by mean, Grant yeah. Morrison. Oh, was that by Grant Morrison? Yes. I don't know. I was dating a guy. He wanted me to read it. I read it. And then we had sex. That was it. Like, oh, that's all I remember about it. But the point is, um, this is like my first real experience with this kind of escalation. And um, and I think it's blowing my mind a little bit. You know, like, I'm not going to lie. It's I, I sit down to read this relatively short thing. And by the time I'm done, I'm like, what even is going on? But I think I have a handle on it. Oh, no, I think you do. Also, you know, I think I do. I'm imagining you reading these books like those old Memorex commercials where the dude just like sits down in front of the speaker <laughs> and it's just like back. blowing his whole just <laughs> just dramatically blowing his hair back. Let's see yeah. if we can capture that same feeling in the synopsis. Jack, roll the music. In JLA Volume 1, Number 3, War of the Worlds, we start in Superman's POV as his X-ray vision sees the green outline skeletons of Protex and Primate staring down at him, wondering if they can keep him alive long enough to broadcast his execution. So... Superman not having a great day. Protex starts taunting Superman, asking where all the people he saved over the years are now that he needs help. Ha ha, Superman, you're all alone, blah blah blah. Meanwhile, Batman uses the fact that these assholes underestimated him to his advantage as he breaks into their stronghold. When they destroyed his plane, they gave him a clue to who they really are, and now he's ready to fuck up some shit. Out about town, the Flash is chasing Zoom of the Hyper Clan, who's really fast and also smart with Superman-grade powers, so... In the Gobi Desert, the Green Lantern takes out Armek of the Hyper Clan and is about to take Zenturian's flying shield to the face when the Flash shows up and saves him. They go into the transmitting station and see the broadcast of Superman's trial and execution. They go to work dismantling the transmitters, but are overtaken by the Hyper Clan. Because of course they are. Back at Hyper Clan home base, Superman watches helplessly as the Flash, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, and Aquaman are put into the petals of an Iron Maiden type contraption called the Flower of Wrath. Protex says that once the Martian Manhunter arrives to denounce the JLA, they'll all be tortured. Just then, Primate and Amortal notice they're losing drones on the upper levels. They should have made sure Batman was dead. Yeah, assholes, you should have. A mortal goes to check things out, but doesn't come back, so a few more go to see what's going on. They smell something weird, but get distracted when they find a mortal hanging with a note on his chest that reads, I know your secret. Wow, that got dark fast. I mean, it was dark, but hanging the body? Well, it's Batman. What are you going to do? Anyway, the Hyper Clan finds Batman and threatens to tear him apart, but he's figured out who they are. They're Martians, and that means they're vulnerable to flame. As he lights the match, they realize what the smell is gasoline. So Batman sets the room on fire with himself still in it. Okay, Batman's got a Batman, I guess. As Protex realizes that things are not going to plan, he decides to escalate it all a little further. He activates the Flower of Wrath to kill the JLA team and then calls in 70 more members of the Hyper Clan to kill everyone, all while screaming, we win, we win, as the Flower of Wrath begins to close. And as we all know, whenever anyone screams, we win, we win, they have definitely, absolutely, no doubt, won. Okay, Josh, here we are, Act 3 of 4 in the JLA saga, in which we have the Flower of the Iron Maiden closing in on half of our JLA team, all of them with, like, these fishbowls over their heads for protection or something? I don't even know what that is. And the inside of the Flower of Wrath, I'm sorry, I just have to talk about the Flower of Wrath. The inside uh -huh. of the Flower of Wrath is, like, a bunch of, it looks like syringes and buttons and knives, and it looks like it was put together by like I don't know like a, a kind of like a, a kindergarten school you know kind of project like of evil you know um, yes fascinating fascinating stuff going on here this week what I love about the flower of wrath right it's interesting you bring this up here it didn't make it into yes. any of our notes but I think it's exactly. worth pointing out yes that it is it is sort of emblematic of a lot of the approach 
in this in this right. art, right? Because it is sort of this like wacky hodgepodge of bullshit. But it, yeah. what it really reminds me of is when you say that it, none of this is about how it really is. It's about how it feels, right? Exactly. So mm-hmm. does the flower of wrath at a glance make sense? Yeah, it's fucking terrifying. Does it make mm-hmm. sense if you look at it closely? No, no. It no. is it, no. Absolutely. It is a Picasso of torture devices. Like it barely. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, but but, so, it, but it's, um, that's the whole thing. What does this feel like? It feels like this huge, big thing. Don't look too closely. We don't have time anyway. Turn the page. Exactly. And in stories, it's absolutely that. It's always about not what it is, but how it feels. That's basically what stories are out there to do. They're there to make you feel things. So before we get talking anymore about this story, let's go to our overall bird's eye view response. What did you think of this issue? Well, I mean, you you're going to talk a little bit about the escalation, right? And just how yeah. how mm-hmm. that affects you. And what my sort of counter not even counterpoint, but sort of reaction mm-hmm. to that is that I really admire the ebb and flow of the escalation mm-hmm. here because like the Batman part of the story, he is clearly winning, right? Oh god. <laughs> but the rest of the JLA, like all they can do is prove that they can bloody the Hyper Clan's nose, right? Like mm-hmm. there are some wins, but overall they do not win. So we're sort of given yeah. this ray of hope and we have a direction that we see victory coming from. We see the enemy's not invincible, but the tide continues mm-hmm. to pretty much decisively turn against the JLA. I don't know. It's yeah. just, it's amazing to me that uh, like one third of this issue and a and flash fact is basically all of the winning we get and the other is mm-hmm. losing, but we still feel like yeah, you get, cause you made a joke about it. We get to the end and he's like, we won. And we're like, Oh, Protex, honey. Please. You know. Please. Even though yeah. legitimately the entire issue is the JLA loses their ass. Almost. Exactly. But also it's not just that he's saying we win, we win, but that you can see the desperation in the font work, which I think is brilliant. Like one of the things that I love most about comic books is the font work, is the lettering, is what happens in the letters to characterize yeah. and yeah. to further give clues too much like the efficiency of storytelling like efficiency is something that i have always enjoyed like i'm always looking at the most efficient way to do anything that i do which also includes every time my boyfriend talks to me i start walking away and he's like what's going on i'm like well we're doing a walk and talk i gotta do stuff while we're talking because the things (laughs) i need to do that's efficient um and that doesn't really work for him so i'm still working on that but the efficiency of all of the way that comic book stories are told speaks too much my heart and soul mm. and i absolutely like when you see the desperation the red font with the like you know edges with like the kind of jagged edges we mm-hmm. win we win you're like oh no this guy knows he knows they haven't won and you can see it in the way that he's screaming that they've won because he cannot stand the idea that they won't but he knows that they won't um so he's escalating everything. He's calling in, you know, his his guards at the who are outside 70 more of these people to come in and just kind of like fuck shit up. Um, so I really enjoy that. Um, but yeah, like escalating everything that's going on here again, like at the end, you're like, well, you know, the end of last week, we're like, you know, Superman is, you know, is there's kryptonite and he's dying and there's all this <laughs> stuff. All the people are dead and yada, yada. And here we have them not actually dead, like none of them are dead like they thought all of them were dead and none of them are dead so to me i'm like well that speaks to the the complete lack of they've got a lot of power but they don't have planning they don't understand their enemy they're not actually anywhere near as scary as like general lucan was in the cap Mm, comics that mm -hmm. we read because these guys are completely out of control and yes they might win in the beginning because they had the element of surprise but they're absolutely not going to win in the end and plus it's it's you know you look at the name on the banner it's jla this is Right. Not the Protex Hyperclan comic. So clearly we know who's going to win. Um, but that's not a problem because we don't know how. And it is really the how of all of this that makes this so fascinating because this is a masterclass in escalation beyond like the boundaries again spinal tap dial to 11 um you know and honestly like other than the cliffhanger at the end which i get is kind of part of the aesthetic of long serial stories like these so you know whatever um i think it's good but by the end of this issue i was so ready for these these people to just get smacked in the face and the thing is that like you know we have in the middle we've got batman doing some ass kicking like batman Mm -hmm. was never here for any of this shit 
And the thing is that he brings what they don't. They don't understand anything about the JLA. But he says, I know your secret. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, and I'm going to use that to mess you up. Um, I got to say, like, I, I really enjoy it. Again, not a fan of the cliffhanger, but also I accept the argument that it is part of the aesthetic and it is part of what comic books do. Fine. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. It is absolutely a lot. I have to read all of these like three to four times just to make sure that I even know what's going on. And when I have to write a summary, I'm always like, I don't know, there's some big armor guy who turned himself yellow and I don't know who that is. And then I go back and I find, oh, it's Armac. Okay. And so then oh, I'm like, all right. Yeah. But half the time when I'm like assigning names to some of the characters, I'm waiting for you to be like, yeah, that's not who that is. <laughs> that happened one time. You're doing terrific. It it will happen again, definitely, because oh, yeah, I yeah, get so no, easily confused. But it's I mean, but that's part of the fun. Like it's so much fun to be kind of playing around in a form that I'm not terribly familiar with. It's it's fresh snow for me. It's a new yes. space. And that makes it narratively so much fun. It's so much fun to interact with comics and kind of see after we did all of the, you know, Marvel stuff, or at least most of it until we just couldn't anymore, um, on Listen Up A-Holes, working with the cinematic universe, you know. And then here we are in, in the comic books, taking a look at the original source material for, of course, a, a different property. Um, but yeah, it's so much fun. I'm, I'm really enjoying this. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the cover art, which, by the way, I am very much enjoying. But in this week's cover art, we have Superman strapped into a metal chair, uh, which looks like it would just be hell on the lower back. Like, you know, <laughs> I know you're evil, but a little ergonomics wouldn't kill anybody. It's absolutely all 90 degree angles. Terrible. Um, Protex pulls Superman's hair like a schoolyard bully. So that is definitely another bit of that hint of the desperation of these guys. Um, and he's holding Superman under a glowing green orb of kryptonite. But of course, my favorite part of the cover is in the background. Batman is flying in, looming over them, about ready to fuck up Protex's haircut. Um, and I got to say, I'm like here for it. But there's one thing, though, this is so funny. And I have to bring this up because it's one of these things where like I get really proud of myself for absolutely no reason. Because um, Protex also has like this glowing red badge kind uh -huh. of or brooch or something uh, that for a moment I was like, hey, is that red kryptonite? And I only know about red kryptonite because of an episode of Buffy in which Oz and Xander compared red and green kryptonite. But I was still really proud of myself. So I just wanted to be like, hey. It's beautiful. I love that. It, that note actually made me go back to, to look at previous yeah. stuff. He's always mm -hmm. had it. Okay. So he's always yeah. had that gem. But I think they really mm -hmm. play it up on this on this cover. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. I, and I wonder, looking back, I think it might be a clue because it's kind of Mars, right? Like it's just a big yeah. red circle. Mm -hmm. and, and they've done right. that now and then with the Martian mm -hmm. Manhunter trying to give him like an, a chest emblem. He doesn't usually have yeah. one. But, um, mm -hmm. but two things really struck out to me uh, there. One was, now that it's so dramatic, it kind of reminded me mm -hmm. of like Dracula's big tuxedo gem, <laughs> you know? That's just, and I want to claim that it's on purpose, but that's obviously bullshit. Like, mm -hmm. I just want it to be, but it isn't. Uh, and the mm -hmm. other one was, I am very proud of you for multicolored uh, kryptonite mm -hmm. references. And I actually have in our notes, do you want to talk about different color kryptonites? But I'm going to just make an executive decision that we okay. should not. Okay. <laughs> because that is a rabbit trail, not useful to this book, but I really want to talk about different colored kryptonites oh, so badly. Yes. Someday we will. Absolutely. There's your, pay this woman and gets a Patreon exclusive where I explain different colored exactly. kryptonites to Lonnie. <laughs> we'll do it in video so you can just watch her stare agog as I go, no, but wait, there's more. Wait, so there's more than just the red and the green? Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> red green blue gold white yes there's a bunch mm -hmm. there's a bunch all right and forget right. the whole and oh oh teaser teaser the color kid of the <laughs> legion of superheroes saved superboy and supergirl's life by knowing what the different colors of kryptonite do i will not be taking any more questions that's for the patreon exclusive <laughs> All right, everybody, head over to patreon.com slash chipperish and put your money down because uh, that is definitely something I think we all need to experience is Josh explaining that to me and me being completely befuddled by it. But oh, my God. Ian has to join oh. in, too. I feel like Ian knows about <laughs> multicolored kryptonites. 
I, yeah. He all might. right. Just pin, pin, pin for he that might. conversation. I will, I will definitely let him know for anybody who is unaware. Uh, my boyfriend, Ian Martin, Passion of the Nerd, does a lot of Buffy stuff. Um, and uh, also, yeah, has read a lot of comics in his day. So, um, hey, so yeah, people. that would be a lot of fun. So I don't want to gloss over the interior art discussion, but at the same time, okay. I feel like you and I are going to fall into a very similar pattern that we did with Epting, mm-hmm. but for like right. wildly different reasons, right? <laughs> because this art is wonderful, right? And mm-hmm. it's and there's only so much you can say, like, yep, another fantastic, you know, Porter issue. It yeah. just relentlessly attacks your eyeballs. It's all color and shape and action. And 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 again, this is this is early Porter. So I can say even mm-hmm. when it isn't very good, it's still great. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, like, and, and I wrote this in the notes, so I want to say I really can, like, almost hear the swish of Batman's cape. I can, like, mm-hmm. s- protex's swagger and its degradation over the... Because co- I think he's 100%. We got this. And then by yeah. the end, he's, like, 70%. We got this? <laughs> you know? Flash's desperation turns to triumph. Like, I can hear all that in, in the yeah. art, if that makes sense. So, it's it's great and it's wonderful, but I don't know that we're always going to have you know, like big thoughts about it. Well, yeah. I mean, the thing that I always find so interesting about this art is the way that the artists are also actors and like they're also doing voice work and they're also doing like the, again, like the efficiency with which all of these elements work together um, to make something that does have like this incredible, like well-rounded, it's, it doesn't feel 2D. You know, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. it feels like this real story that you're you're in the middle of. Um, so, yeah, absolutely appreciate that. And but the thing is, is that, yeah, like that's what we're going to we're going to say the same thing every week, because every week these people just bring it. Yeah. And we'll call mm-hmm. out the best parts. So just we're not yes. ignoring Porter, but we'll call out the best parts, I think, in the rest of the show, mm-hmm. especially in our favorite right. parts. Right. Yes, absolutely. So. Talking about the story, though, you were talking about Protex and his, Mm -hmm. like, whole deal, right? And I think, honestly, you are ascribing a lot more self-awareness to him (laughs) than he has. Yes. Because Mm -hmm. I feel like he is really typifying what is usually the sort of core flaw in supervillainy, right? Mm -hmm. Which is the supervillain is always 100% sure that they got this. Like, Mm -hmm. all the time. All the time. Like, like, so, so maybe there's like a part of his brain that's going, yeah, it's fraying at the edges, dude. This is maybe not going to work out. (laughs) But it's this small, quiet voice. The majority of him is like, it really doesn't matter what they do. We've got this. And they clearly Mm -hmm. do not. Like, we're starting to see that they Mm -hmm. don't. And I think that we are going to we're going to watch that across a lot of villains through this run. And Mm -hmm. again, There's a million ways to do it, you know, and it shifts a little bit depending on which facet of the superhero genre you're looking at, because I think that you don't see that in Lucan Mm -hmm. right now during the cap stuff. Right. You will. Mm -hmm. You will. Yeah. Like like Mm -hmm. his his well thought out plan starts to fray around the edges and he's the reason why to an extent. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Like villainy carries its own weakness inside it and yeah. it's ego mm-hmm. and blindness and a lack of self-awareness. And hey, that might be a life lesson. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Maybe um, I I do see the desperation. I do see the fear in there. And maybe that's something that I'm bringing in because I like seeing that level of um, kind of like those layers within these characters because otherwise they just tend to be a little bit flat for me. Um, But yeah, I do like that. And the thing is that like, you know, super villains, like if you look at the track record, right, they lose pretty much all the time, like Mm -hmm. all the time they lose. So it's always, it's like the Red Sox fans that every year are like, we're going to take the World Series. Like, no, you're not. It's not going to happen, you know? And I say this as somebody who knows absolutely fuck all about baseball. So everybody out there who knows anything about baseball is going to argue with me. And by all means, you're welcome to. I have no defense for myself other than that's the only team I know that is the losingest team ever. Because I dated a Red Sox fan in college. <laughs> there is a there is a line that I heard from a baseball fan that you could apply to whatever team, just fit it in your mind. Yes. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But it was a beautiful moment. And I think it really applies to supervillains, too. Yeah. Is that if mm-hmm. you have that losingest team, but you're holding on to the flame of hope. He, This buddy of mine, hi, Zach, if you're listening, once said to me, 
<laughs> next year is the year that next year is the year. <laughs> I like it. It's, I like yes, that a lot. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that is, that's your super villain right there. Like, yeah. Even when it starts to fray around the edges, they're like, it's fine. It's fine. It's Everything's fine. It's fine. fine. It's all going to be okay. Batman's only human and we only, we killed him. Super killed him. Yeah. All right. So, Josh, um, I, I noticed something in this issue that, of course, got my attention, which was the reference to the fridge. Right. We have been talking about women being fridged. And for everybody who, you know, wants a basic you know rundown of that, um, it is when a woman is harmed or murdered solely to motivate a man's storyline and for no other purpose than that. Um, so the thing is that we talk about that a lot in storytelling and in, in critiquing a lot of these stories. But here we have a reference to the actual origin of that, uh, where we have, okay, Green Lantern is talking about, um, you know, he's, what is it with supervillains nowadays? What happened to the crazy jewel heist and dump traps? Now they murder your girlfriend and stuff her in a fridge for kicks. And that happened to Green Lantern, right? Yes. Um, and it happened to Kyle Rayner. This Green Lantern, this yes. This Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. But when he talks about it, he's making a joke out of what I think would have been like a pretty serious traumatic moment. So it felt to me like, is this a different Green Lantern that he's talking about somebody else's experience? Because that seemed a little flippant for something that was actually his lived experience. Yeah. So, okay. This is a place where, so first of all, yes, you're a hundred percent right. Uh, the mm-hmm. Green Lantern, this specific instance of Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner mm-hmm. is the source of yes. the women in refrigerators syndrome named by Gail Simone, a DC writer mm-hmm. of much mm-hmm. renown has done yes. a ton of great work, uh, mm-hmm. there. And she identified that right there in this moment. It wasn't new. It just, we had mm-hmm. a name for it now. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it absolutely happened to Kyle. Major Forrest did that to his girlfriend, which was really particularly rough because if you were reading the book at the time, he had even less confidence in himself as Green Lantern than he does in JLA. Wow. And she was the mm-hmm. one who's saying, you can do it. Practice. You yeah. got this. Like mm-hmm. think outside the box. You know, she was the one who was pep talking all the time. She, Believed in him when he didn't believe in himself, which right. again, it's a ring based on willpower. Get shit together, <laughs> Kyle, you know. Um, yeah. And so and I don't I don't think that Major Force knew that specifically. Uh, mm-hmm. So he didn't know how much he was taking Kyle out at the knees. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's where that was. And that was about three years before this came out, roughly. Um, mm-hmm. 94 to 97. That happened in 94, I believe. And this book came out in 97. Um he is talking about himself. It is a little flippant. Uh, and I don't, this is one of the places where that idea that we talked about, where we don't get into the interior lives of these people because they have their own books. Go read those. Right. There are times, there are many, because again, Morrison knows their business, mm-hmm. but there are times when that whole, uh, we're glossing over their own personal stuff because it's not that kind of book rings mm-hmm. a little hollow or falls a little flat. And and this is yeah. this is definitely one of those places. There's also mm-hmm. a space where three years is not a super long time in comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's um, at most 36 issues, which don't don't get me wrong. Like these days, if you get a three year run out of somebody, it's a low key miracle. But mm-hmm. at the time, you know, two, three year runs were not unheard of. Like 10 years before this, 10 year runs were not unheard of, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but in comics, it's not. That la- so I don't want to apologize for it. I think it is flip, right. and I think that mm-hmm. you know if you asked Morrison about that line today, they'd probably be like, "Yeah, I probably could have been more cool about that." Right. But mm-hmm. I, I don't think it had really solidified into the like mass consciousness, you mm-hmm. know, kind of thing. So somewhere between it not being the deal then that it is now. I mean, as a as a as a known trope, as a woman in refrigerators mm-hmm. thing, and that Morrison is always like glossing over the stuff you can go read their own book for like somewhere yes. in that X, Y mm-hmm. axis, it winds up being kind of crap, but yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. No, it was just interesting. It was kind of fun to, uh, you know, because I've been talking, you know, from that reference for yeah. such a long time. So it was kind of neat to see, uh, to get this close to the origin of that, yes. you know, it was, was yes. a neat experience for me to actually see that happen. Um, but uh, so, uh, you know, one of the things on Listen to Pay Holes that we used to have, which I really enjoyed, were your four color facts where you would go back <laughs> into the source comic material for all of these movies and TV shows that we were watching and give me the history, which I really love. And this week... We don't have four color facts. We do have a flash fact, and I'm very excited to hear this. Okay. I love the sequence in this issue with Flash beating Zoom. I love yeah. it so much. Mm-hmm. And you've actually put kind of a point on why, I think, mm-hmm. uh, just talking to you about it. And I'm so used to really well-handled comics doing multiple things at the same time that I don't think mm-hmm. about it anymore. but. Right. There is a nugget of nostalgia and also homage mm-hmm. in in this that just makes the whole thing really come together for me. And I will explain with a little history. Okay, so okay. bear with me a moment. So Golden Age Flash was not the Flash you're thinking of, like, like any mm-hmm. of the Flashes you're thinking of. Um, he's a whole different character. He's super fast, but I mean, like, yes. the lightning bolt goes the wrong way up his shirt. He wears a mercury helmet. He fought in World War II. Like, it's not any uh-huh. of the guy's you're thinking of. Mm -hmm. But when comics were being done during the golden age, they were huge anthologies. Most of the time, they weren't Mm -hmm. these thin little 22 page books. They were like big fat anthologies and Mm -hmm. they were often reprints of other material at first. Mm -hmm. And even when they weren't, when they started to do original material, they were still like, this is a lot of pages, you guys, what are we going to do with it? And so they would do these filler bits like puzzles and mazes, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff like that. One thing that they started doing with flash was that they would do little science facts. And most of the time, they weren't really about speed. They were just science Mm -hmm. facts so that they could claim to be educational Mm -hmm. to some extent. (laughs) And so the page was, sometimes he didn't even appear on the page. It just said flashback. Mm -hmm. And he was like running in the banner, you know, and then it would be drawings of, you know, ants or hella strong, you know, or whatever the hell. (laughs) Mm -hmm. When then you have kind of a cessation of superheroes and they pick back up in the 60s and you get this very, (laughs) this is the Silver Age, right? Yeah. And you get a really on the nose, on purpose, jet age reboot of the concept of the Flash. Mm -hmm. The original Flash was a scientist himself. They bring that part back. Okay. So Barry Allen is a scientist, but he's a police scientist, which I really love because it predates the CSI shit by like 60 years. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but he's still a science nerd at his heart, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the editor at the time, Julia Schwartz, loved science. He'd actually been a science fiction author agent. So he was oh. he loved that shit. You mm-hmm. know, like when you can do some crazy nonsense, but ground it in some real world science, that was his favorite thing. Mm-hmm. And he reintroduced flashbacks as whole page like science lessons, you know, mm-hmm. for the Silver Age Flash. But then when they started to really introduce all the the really great villains that Flash has, he would start to beat them with little science things like how speed interacts with cold or how ah, speed nice. interacts with light refraction, right? Mm-hmm. And they he start Barry in that in as the Flash would start to say, This is how I'm gonna beat him like thought balloons. This is how I'm gonna beat him with this little bit of science. Flash fact, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this version of Flash is Wally West. Okay, uh-huh. that is the nephew of Barry Allen, and he used to, he says it in this in this issue, he used to be Kid Flash. Mm-hmm. And he's, in my opinion, unarguably the best Flash there's ever been. Um, mm-hmm. After Barry died, he stepped into the role and did not feel up to the mantle, but didn't just rise to it. He surpassed it. Wow. Writing him in this time in the 90s, like they built up uh, like a Flash family and a whole like mm-hmm. speed mythology that they are still oh. mining for the show on the CW mm-hmm. 25, 30 years later, right? Yeah, I have seen that. So some of this is familiar uh, to the CW show, yeah. They're putting that all on Barry, but it was all Wally. That was all Wally uh-huh. stuff in the comics, right? Mm-hmm. And the the thing is, Wally's not a scientist. He's a mechanic. Like, he works on cars. Uh-huh. That's his day job. So mm-hmm. he that's part of why he always felt like he wasn't up to Barry's level, because he couldn't do those kinds of you know, flash fact stuff. And yeah. I love this moment when he says, I've got to remember my science or I'm history. Because first of all, yeah. fucking fantastic line. Great and line. Secondly, great line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it sets up him 
like having this like warm feeling for his uncle. Like I got to mm-hmm. step up and be like Barry in this moment or I'm not going to pull this off. And so it's like nostalgia without mm-hmm. being cloying. Right. Like yeah. we're recognizing that he is an uh, um that he is a legacy character. Right. That mm-hmm. he stands on the shoulders of of his uncle Barry and. That that's where, you know, that's how he beats Zoom is with the like in the spirit of of his mentor. And there is something for me that knowing all this flashback stuff being in this space, those two dialogue boxes when he's like, Mm -hmm. that's escape velocity, by the way. And the next one is just two (laughs) words. Flashback. It's so fucking smug and in love with his uncle and in love with his job and in love with his identity. Yeah, Yeah. I just, I feel like I really wanted to pull that out for you. Really, those, not only is it a great sequence, like all the super Uh speed stuff they do, but there's just this so much. If, if those, if those dialogue boxes weren't there, you would turn those pages too fast. Right. Like you, Mm -hmm. you wouldn't slow down to see everything that they're doing. And all that on one hand, you're like, why is he talking so fucking much? It's Mm -hmm. to slow down so you can appreciate what's actually happening. Yeah. But it's Mm -hmm. not just to slow you down. It's also all of this nod towards the silver age and all of this nod towards the wider universe and all of this, Mm -hmm. like, Hey nerds, if you know, you know, here's some breadcrumbs, but it doesn't (laughs) fuck you up. Not knowing any of that. You still enjoyed that sequence without all of that, you know, all those layers. Mm -hmm. So I just, yeah, I love flash fact. It just brings me joy. Yeah. First of all, your enthusiasm about it is enough to make me love it anyway. But like, I enjoyed (laughs) that sequence anyway, because here he is, he's thinking about the science, he's thinking about his uncle, he's pulling all this stuff together. Um, And also he's challenged by this. He's Mm -hmm. challenged by Zoom. He's challenged, none of this is easy for him, but he's doing this all like literally on the fly while he is zooming through the world, chasing this dude, you know? Um, And so like on its own, I enjoyed it. But one of the things that I really love about having these discussions after I've read them is that you come in with this greater context. And it just makes me think, I think it was you who suggested to me once that that superhero comics are the modern mythology. They are our modern gods and goddesses and that that's kind of what's going on in all of these stories. And these stories are so deep and they're so interconnected and there's so much stuff going on and there's always a greater context. Like if I hadn't understood the fridge thing, if I hadn't been talking about Mm -hmm, fridging mm and storytelling for years, that would have gone right past me. But that has that deeper context context, you know, Mm. and so getting all of this additional context, you know, from somebody who knows all of these stories and what they're about is makes it so much more fun. Uh, But the question that I have for you now, though, um, because I'm really not sure is like, like, is Batman okay? Because (laughs) he goes after the hyper clan and hangs, hangs one of them. For his friends to find. I mean, granted, yeah, they're all bad, but like hangs him, then lures the rest of them into a room filled with gasoline to find their friend on fire with a note. And then he lights them all on fire while he is also in the room. Like all of this is like a lot. And I feel like Batman just needs like a headspace subscription and (laughs) that app where you color mandalas like a stress relief and all of that because a lot of this stuff is like really intense. And like, I know they're bad guys doing really super bad things and that Batman is, is, you know, not here to fuck around. Like I get all of that, but I'm a little bit worried about Batman. Like I have my concerns about Batman. (laughs) Okay, I love that you bring this up in the context of a Grant Morrison joint, okay? (laughs) Because a little, like about eight years Mm -hmm. later from this, Uh Morrison writes what is for me the best Batman has ever been. And he, and, and, and they do it for years. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's not just Bruce Wayne. It's also Dick Grayson. It's also a bunch of like other Robins. Like it, 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 it's tremendous. Um, uh, that's I'm that that is going on the ITG list. I have to read that. Oh my gosh, that one! You know what? So much on the ITG list, and yeah. I don't want to turn this into the Grant Morrison fan cast because I could do that so easily. <laughs> 
But that might be a good one for a theoretical in the gutters book club where we're not doing it on the show, but we can talk about it because I have so many feelings. That might be kind of fine. Patreon.com slash chipperish. Go ahead. We'll put another stretch goal up there. And the thing is, if you if you want to hear me kind of start to dive into that, I actually do Mm -hmm. a superhero university on the first four issues of that run. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first four issues are called Batman and Son. And I do Mm -hmm. five episodes of the podcast because you really need like the history, the brief history of Batman to go into that. Mm -hmm. But the reason I love you bringing this up in terms of Grant Morrison is because I have this wider Grant and Batman sort of context, right? So as far as Mm -hmm. Morrison is concerned, Batman is the most okay. The (laughs) most. It's, it is their suggestion that due to the variety of mystical martial arts and esoteric mental and physical exercises that Bruce Wayne puts himself through, that makes Bruce Wayne the most mentally stable and healthy person in the DC universe. The the, the place that that starts to look weird for us, and I have a point to make here, friends, is that Morrison says Batman is how Bruce keeps himself sane. That's mm-hmm. that's how Bruce Wayne salvaged his sanity from his traumatic experience. And mm-hmm. and now could he have turned into like a, you know, vengeance crazed monster? Of course. And people have written mm-hmm. Batman that way. But that's not Morrison's take because Morrison themselves are very involved in esoteric mental and physical exercise and realize that mm-hmm. that grounds you in a way. Yeah. Right. So. Talking about Batman as the tool by which you maintain your sanity looks like, pardon the pun, it's batshit bonkers from a real world perspective. So let me suggest to you, friends, do not approach these stories with a real world perspective. Now, I have more feelings about him terrifying the hyper clan that I want to talk about, but I want you to react to the idea of Batman as the most okay. Yeah, um, I, you know. I guess, I guess because there, it's one thing to take down a mortal, like it's one thing to take down a mortal, knock him out, set him aside, whatever, you know, and then, you know, leave a note or whatever, like, <laughs> but to, to hang him from the rafters and then leave a note on him shows kind of, it has sort of like a Hannibal Lecter-ish yeah, kind of feel yeah. about it. Like, I don't know if you've seen the TV show Hannibal, but there was a lot of artistry in some of the ways mm-hmm. in which bodies were discovered, um, which is very, very interesting, but also really disturbing. And and there is something theatrical in the way, like yes, he's doing yes. the job, but he's doing it in a very theatrical way. Like it is, it's one thing to lure them into a room filled with gasoline, um, and then like light it up or whatever, because you have to take the, these people need to be taken out. They're causing a lot of harm. Yes, absolutely. But to be in the room when you light it on fire so that you can see their eyes as you say, I know what you are. I know what your weakness is and fuck all y'all. Like, I mean, I'm not saying I don't like it, but I'm saying I don't know that Batman is OK. Like if this is OK, the, the okay. theatrical part of it, the light. I mean, is his is his bat cape like fireproof? Like what is happening here? Oh, yeah. Listen, a room <laughs> on fire with gasoline. That's not even Tuesday. That's like his 2 p.m. <laughs> on Tuesday on his way to other shit to do as Batman. Like it's no I, yeah. big deal there. OK, mm-hmm. there's also a thing. OK, OK. I was really excited about this because <laughs> canonically, Bruce Wayne is a person who thought to himself and I quote, Criminals are a superstitious and cowardly lot, so my disguise must be able to strike terror into their hearts. I must be a creature of the night. Black. Terrible. Okay? Mm -hmm. Now, his biggest weapon is that everyone in the world is pants-pissing terrified of him. It makes them panic. They make mistakes. Theatricality is a big part of this, knowing exactly how and when to push those buttons even sometimes with his allies, because remember the last mm-hmm. issue, I don't have super speed, I'm not indestructible, and I can't afford to work with amateurs who are, right? Like, that's uh-huh, the deal. Right. Okay, yes. like, this is part of the thing. Now, this is especially true with invading aliens, the least of whom has more natural power in its pinky than he has in his, like, whole arsenal. <laughs> but who yeah. is it that's screaming, Batman is only a man? Who declares mm-hmm. that he couldn't possibly be doing the impossible things that he's doing? These aliens with all this power. That's 
that's Batman's like biggest weapon. Okay. And I, I've had this conversation before where I like I like to try and figure out where in Batman's career criminals Mm -hmm. in Gotham stopped being terrified of a literal bat monster and started being more afraid of the fact that Batman was after them. Right. Because at first Mm -hmm. it's like, there's a giant fucking vampire thing (laughs) taking us down and turning us over to the cops. And somewhere along the line, people were Uh like, Oh shit, it's Batman. He's not a monster and we're even more scared, right? He's just a human. Because yeah. that's the deal. He's just a guy. Mm-hmm. And, and to an extent, he's just a guy. But the other part is that, like, darkness took everything from him. There, yeah. Actually, during Morrison's Batman run, at one point, Bruce Wayne says, wherever crime tries to hide, they will find Batman waiting. Yeah. <laughs> there will be no shadow that is safe for a crime because Batman will already be there. That's the like, oh, you want to use shadows, motherfucker? Let me show you how mm-hmm. to actually use shadows. So he's playing a psychological game. Yes. Like part of his thing is just inspiring terror into the hearts of of these bad guys so that when they hear the story like for anybody who might survive the room full of gasoline flames explosions right that they will tell the story of what batman did and how fucked up it all was right 100 um, okay. that is the thing i get it so it's 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 a theater of the mind sort of experience where he really is like his superpower is as much in the damage he does as in the way that he does it. Yes. So that's the yes. story. And I mean, and isn't that awesome, right? Yes. That, that Batman, <laughs> Batman, as much as he is like, you know, just a human is creating his superpower in the story of who he is, right? You know, which you see again in um in The Princess Bride, right? It's the story of the Dread yeah. Pirate Roberts, right? Um, that actually becomes the power that they have as opposed to how many people they are actually murdering all the time, right? Um, and you see that as a real huge theme in the TV show Black Sails, um, yes. which is one of my favorite yes. things about the TV show Black Sails um, is that it does a lot with that, the power of the story, the power of the legend, that you only have to do a couple of the things in order to inspire the story stories about the things that you do um so i I, you know i dig it i dig it i still don't know that i necessarily subscribe to the idea that batman is okay um i think that he like (laughs) but if he got therapy it probably wouldn't be as much fun to watch him do his thing so i will absolutely let that go (laughs) there's there's also i mean again this is me leaning on morrison's take very heavily but there's also this idea that like the way it's not just that he rebuilt himself from a traumatic experience but it's specifically the way that he did it um Mm -hmm. i think that it's morrison that planted this idea in my head but i couldn't swear to you this but the idea that the childhood vow is vital in my conception of Batman, because you need a child to swear to stop crime. He doesn't swear vengeance on criminals. He swears to fight crime with Mm -hmm. his whole life and fortune as an eight-year-old. And then proceeds, that's a crazy thing to say for an adult, but he's he's Mm -hmm. eight and then proceeds to build himself into the kind of person that can actually do it. I also want to point out that Batman has several well-adjusted children that he has raised. And unstable people aren't great at making stable children into stable adults. Fair enough. Fair (laughs) enough. Point taken. All right, so here we are at my favorite part of the episode, which is when we talk about our favorite part of the issue. So, uh, Joshua, let's go ahead and start with your favorite artwork in this issue. I mean, it's no big deal. This is this is kind of all Batman all the time uh, yeah, right. issue, mm-hmm. a lot of it. And so probably my favorite piece of art is Batman hiding around the corner from a mortal because a mortal's yes. talking about mm-hmm. we see through walls. I can smell your pheromones. You can't hide from me. And a mortal's little ah, when he when mm-hmm. he finds Batman, it just again, that acting, <laughs> that whole thing, it sells the yes. fact that a mortal thinks he's got Batman right where he wants him. And I'm just, oh, sweet summer child. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to say that, of course, like my favorite art is definitely related, uh, but it is the page where Batman lights the room that he is also in on fire. <laughs> I mean, and I'm just like, God damn, mister, is weed legalized in Gotham? Because I think someone needs to send this guy some edibles or something. Like, there's got to be something to kind of like chill it out. But now that I understand that he is chasing the story, still my favorite page. It's yeah. still awesome. <laughs> I mean, because because it's him terrifying people 
that are on Superman's level or higher. And they are, again, pants-pissingly terrified. The fact that one of them realizes it's gasoline right before he flicks the match, fucking A. He couldn't have asked for a better reveal. I know that smell. I know that smell. Come on. I love it. I do love it. They're working with him. It's absolutely a team effort on that one. Um, All right. So what's your favorite part of the story? Flash fact. Yeah, I mean, I, I telegraph these things like sometimes when it's a when it's a thing yeah. with a lot of like depth or history or something mm-hmm. that I feel like I really need to point out to you. Um, yeah, it's probably a pretty fair guess that it's going to be involved <laughs> in my favorite part. And as awesome as Batman mm-hmm. is and as much as he is like easily without a doubt, my second favorite superhero of all time, yeah. like he is mm-hmm. up there to the mm-hmm. he's I love him so much that everybody thinks he's my first favorite. All the time. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And absolutely. And that I'm still like, yeah, no, he's got a lot of badass stuff and he had the best art. But the best mm-hmm. story moment is flash fact. Come that on. Is a really, it's a really good story moment. But you, I think in order for you to catch that, like what a good story moment it is, you have to have that like extra context for it. You have to understand all of that history. Yes. It's why it's my mm-hmm. favorite and not your favorite. Right. Right? Exactly. And you didn't need my, it. You yeah. loved all that stuff with Flash. It was great two or three pages. Mm-hmm. But I love... You could fully yeah. appreciate the whole context for that. Yeah, uh, I love Batman. This is all the Batman. Uh, he's not okay, but he's badass, and I absolutely love him. And he's always <laughs> been my favorite DC hero anyway, I think. Um, although, like, I'm, I'm, you know, slowly getting an affection for... I'm definitely Green Lantern, but, yeah, like, all yeah, of them. Yeah. I think that, like, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying all of them in ways that I did not anticipate. Uh, yeah, because anybody who listened to Listen Up A-Holes, especially, like, in the early days, will hear me talking out my ass about... I don't like DC characters because blah, 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 when I had never read them. So I just want you to know that like I know I was talking out my ass because I didn't know anything about it. And now that I'm learning about it, I'm very glad to kind of retract and say like I really enjoy all of them. But yeah, Batman's uh, number one with a bullet for me. I think number that one it's with a noose at this point. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really, uh, you, you know, there's always that like bad boys are sexy, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. Right. And Batman gets to do that while also not entirely being a bad boy like the look is not an affectation like it's very much Mm -hmm. a part of who he is but also he's like the bestest boy like he raises (laughs) these children and he you know just wants everybody to be okay and this is the way he's decided to do it and yeah um i also i also really like that you're open to these other characters because even the ones that you've bounced off of pretty hard like i Mm -hmm. think that you're gonna see even in the next issue Mm-hmm. Um, like some sort of moments of weakness for even Superman that he then mm-hmm. immediately overcomes. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I think I think you're going to warm up to everybody and you're going to see what I have meant about, well, if you want an engaging Superman story, don't give him heavy shit to lift. What the fuck is wrong with yes, you? Yes, you know? exactly. Exactly. And I mean, yeah, Superman has never been and still remains not my favorite, but I'm definitely open to things that can be done with a Superman story. And also mm-hmm. that, yeah, like you're always the best stories are always really talking about something else, like really doing something else, really addressing something else other than just punch, punch, kick, right? you know mm-hmm. um all right so that takes us into next week we will be back next week with jla volume one issue four invaders from mars the end of this four-part arc um in which the jla wins what it's not a spoiler we all knew the jla was gonna win calm down thanks for listening to in the gutter with joshua Rue and lonnie diane rich if you enjoyed this podcast please consider talking about it with your friends leaving a review somewhere or supporting Chipperish Media, patreon.com slash chipperish.